This is an Age of Sigma podcast, which may contain explicit language. Hello everybody, welcome to episode 4 of Mortally Wounded. I'm your host, Chris Welfare, and joining me on today's episode, I have a special guest to the show, Liam Burnett-Blue. Hey um, Liam, do you want to just introduce yourself to the show and give the listeners a little bit of information about about you and how you got into the hobby um, and what you play? Uh, so, I yeah, my name's Liam. I got into the hobby when I was really young. Um, usual story, actually. You start really young and then you find in other interests, example, um, girls, and then you stop that for a bit of a while and then you get back into it when you get older and realize how awesome it is so i got into through lord of the rings i was a lord of the rings dude huge fan and i collected the big elephant rider dudes the moment kill that's yeah. cool most people say oh, i got into it through 40k and that but yeah lord of the rings so is i cool. did i did lord of the rings i was a huge huge fan of it um so i've always been a fantasy kind of guy and then i went into 40k because it was hugely popular where I was playing, which was in the Parramatta store, where they had, like, two massive big store, like, sides. Like, you had a whole gaming side and the hobby side. Yeah, that's cool. So, I'd gone into 40k playing Elder. Yes, filth. Nowadays. <laughs> um, and then I stopped, and then I got back into the hobby and went back into 40k. But I always had an interest in fantasy. And, like, even when I did 40k, I always looked at the models and thought they were epic. And, yeah, now I play Age of Sigma, just got straight into it and I picked an army that I liked which is uh Sylvaneth. Yeah, Sylvaneth. I like that army as well. They're my current as well, so that's pretty cool. Um so yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um the reason you're on the show is because you just won the Sydney Slaughter warm up event which I hosted last weekend, didn't you? Yeah, surprisingly, was not expecting it whatsoever. Um not gonna lie, walked in there being like, cool, just gonna practice scenarios and came out with uh, a trophy or two. Yeah, so that's cool. So yeah, I thought it'd be awesome to get you on the show. We can talk through your games as kind of we normally would um, and just get your thoughts kind of on the Sydney Slaughter scenarios as um, people that are listening that might not know what it is. Um, Sydney Slaughter is an event that I'm running in June, um, 10th and 11th of June. It's a two-day event here in Sydney and I've written all custom scenarios for it. Um, I kind of got inspired by um, the South Coast Grand Tournament pack, actually, from the UK last year. Um, I liked that it was matched play, but with a kind of narrative flowing through it. Um, and that's kind of where I took some inspiration on. So I've been working on that in the background. Um, and yeah, so I've written five custom scenarios, um, which kind of take you through um, the different um, kind of regions of the Chaos Realm through Nurgle, um, Nurgle's Garden, Corn's Arena. Slanesh's Pleasure Palace and Zinch's Crystal Labyrinth um, and you're seeking down um, parts of uh, these ancient shards um, of elemental power um, which come together um, and they form part of um, an ancient machine which is housed in Sigmaron, Fortress of Azaheim, uh, which is the final scenario and uh, the four shards join together with the shards of life and death um, in the Terabulum and they have the power to create and shape worlds or destroy worlds. Um, so the scenarios cover a campaign, basically, to track down these shards through the realm of chaos and get to Sigmaron and decide whether you want to kind of cleanse the mortal realms of the taint of chaos um, if you're fighting for the factions of order or if you want to destroy the realms if you're chaos and you've fought your way through. Um, so, yeah, it was um, 
it's been fun for me writing it. It's quite different for me. Um, but hopefully the scenarios work well. So Liam, that'll be good for you to give your input on that and um, talk us through. Um, let's talk through your list first. Um, as obviously there was a one list format. Um, the event uses a summoning pool mechanic, which is slightly different to General's Handbook, whereby you can drop up to 500 points of your army for reinforcement points, but then those points that you drop become doubled, so you can take a summoning pool of up to 1,000 points. There's a few other restrictions um, if you do that, like taking additional battle line units and stuff like that to try and balance out the summoning so it's not too powerful. Um, things that I've just adjusted, actually, after feedback from the event to try and keep it in line but to kind of let summoning become more of a um more of a viable mechanic um as at the moment i'm not sure it's you don't see it enough um people like nagash and stuff like that you never see him on the board um because everyone thinks he's too expensive under the way summoning works now so i thought well it'd be nice to try and see him and i hopefully under this pack somebody might bring him and it'll be quite fun um but yeah so um do you want to just talk us through your list yeah, so I brought my Sylvan F out, and I run Narut, as most other Sylvan F players do run. Mine's a little bit different. I've tweaked it a little bit throughout heaps of games. So I have a Tree Lord Ancient with, um, would you like me to run Artifacts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I run a Tree Lord Ancient with um, Bryce Heath. Bryce Heath, yeah. Bryce Heath. Run that, so it's just minus one to hit. He ignores render minus one due to the Gnarled Warrior trait. And then I've got a Spirit of Derfu with Oaken Armor, a Branch Witch with Acorn of Ages, and a Lawmaster, which is a great combination for heroes. And then Especially got... with the Derfu, it's pretty lethal, isn't it? Oh, it's Yeah, it's ridiculous. A lot of people don't know what it does, and then when I actually put into play, they go, yeah, that's, that's really mean. Especially with all his shooting and then his close combat. Yeah, and the way I... I'll explain how aggressive I play with him, because it does really work on how I on my certain play style. Then I have for my battle line I got a unit of ten dryads and two units of tree revs, one unit of ten and one unit of five. And then I got three units of kind of hunters, two sides and bows. Both units of three, aren't they? Yeah, both units yeah. of three. I prefer the rend minus two over the rend minus one with bows and swords. And yeah, and then my battalions I run free spirits with the Durfu and three Hunters, and then I run the Household, which is the Tree Lord Ancient, Branch Witch, and my Unit of 10 Tree Revs. It's most importantly, that's the most the Unit of 10, due to the Retreatment rule. Like, when you try and retreat, um, the Unit of 10, they have to kill a lot more to get out of combat. Yeah, to, like... so you, you can't retreat from a, a Household unit, so yeah. having a Unit of 10 means, actually, a... you can use it for Fighting Punch, but they have to kill all of them. They have to kill all of them, so it's really good when you put them in the combat with a unit you know, of, like, drives as well on the other side, and they have to, like, pick, and they're just chopping through units trying to get out of it and stuff, so it's really good for that um, circumstance. Because they're not bad, are they? They've got two attacks each, and they have Rend. Rend so. minus one, which is pretty good, especially for battle line. Um, yeah, and the teleporting that you can do from any to any uh, board edge and stuff like that. my favourite part. Watching people's faces just get really positive what I'm measuring for on the board edge. I was like, you'll see soon, and they go, like, <laughs> holy crap. And also putting a lot of trees around. Because they also can teleport through the trees and they don't have to roll um, to see if they get befuddled because they're not travelling through the woods. Yeah. It's only travelling through the woods so you get that... Um, you start On a one, you can't do anything, yeah. Yeah, which I've rolled so many times. I've it's... never rolled that yet. Yeah, but I've rolled one <laughs> with tree lords and stuff. 
And I'm like, I'm so glad I haven't rolled for the hunters yet. And it's been all good. You know the tree lords ignore it though. Yeah, I do. But I'm just like, I'm just like, hang on. If I roll that for the hunters, I am so screwed. Yeah. So um, it's always at risk of doing that. Um, so yeah, so that's my list. So um, it's 2,000 points and interestingly, took no summoning. I took no summoning because Audit doesn't have much summoning besides Seraphon. Yep. Um, we do have one way of summoning, and that's through the Branch Wraith, I'm pretty sure, where you get Dryads. Yeah, so it's probably worth pointing out, when I say it's a thousand point summoning pool, it's a thousand point reinforcement pool point. under General's Handbook. So it can those points can be used for any mechanic which brings back units. or yeah. um, So there is actually a Sylvaneth Battalion which lets you replace units of... Um, I was originally going to run... As I first started with Sylvaneth, I wanted to run Heartwood. Yep. I was like, yeah, cool. It says, like, re- replace the exact same unit, thinking, like, it's not part of summoning pool. And then with a few questions asked and stuff, people were like, no, no, that that's that has to be part of the reinforcement points. I'm like, yeah, putting right. any any unit on the table, any new unit, yeah. even if it's replacing an old one, uses points. But under my pack, you would be able to do that. So you could you could actually bring back... It's Colonel Panthers, isn't it, the comeback? No, it's just tree revs and dryads. Tree revenants and dryads. But if one died and you had spared the points in your list, then you could use, and you'd taken that battalion, you could bring them back. But it's not really worth it for the other benefits. Yeah, the other benefit is just like plus one bravery, which the Colonel Hunters don't even get. And also a lot of people don't know this rule, but in the Battleshock phase, if someone's near Durfu, they have plus one bravery in the Battleshock phase. The Sylvanethar, yeah. Yeah, so he's literally walking around like inspiring presence on an inspired terrain piece. Yeah. Plus one bravery, so people forget about that rule. So yeah. when it comes to battle shock, I always make sure that he's around something that needs it. Yeah, and so, Nalroot's just so strong, you're not going to look at the other battalion, really. Well, I've been looking at other battalions, but um, that's a conversation for another day. Maybe we'll do a future episode on yeah. Sylvaneth. Yeah. Um. But yeah, okay. So that's cool. That's that's the list. Um. Obviously, we already know it was the winning list. Um. Didn't use summoning. Um. So obviously, summoning can't be that strong. Um, there was only there was ten players at the event. Um, two of them took the full one thousand point summoning um, pools. One of them, interestingly, was a Seraphon list. The other was a Death list. Um, and then the other list which used summoning was a Disciples of Zinch list, which used six hundred and forty points worth of summoning. Um, all of the other lists didn't use any summoning. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, and they were. They were up and about. I think they had their strong scenarios and they had their weak scenarios. Um, I think that's definitely something that showed with the Seraphon list um, in particular. It has its strong matchups, but then where the summoning really made it strong because you could bring in those kind of extra 500 points on top of your 2000. and But then it has its weak matchups, um, yeah. as we'll get to, where if you can kind of kill those key pieces, then you've actually penalised yourself by dropping 500 points at the start of your list. Yeah. to be able to take potentially a thousand yeah it's it's a good like i like the summoning pool idea like a red red i'm like this is awesome it would be good to see it um in action and when you read the scenario pack like cool i can do it for this and this and this but actually playing it you go like okay you have to really think hard on like yeah you can't be like oh this is going to be like a cinch all i have to do is summon it's yeah you have to use it correctly and make sure you're summoning the right pieces yeah onto the table because you still got to cast the spell. Yeah. If it doesn't go off and you've left yourself a space where your caster can then be attacked, you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, all the summoning restrictions of having to be nine inches away from the enemy are still going to apply, so you're still going to have to think about positioning um, and that kind of thing. Summon units still, again, 
they won't be able to move the turn you place them they can try and charge sure that they're going to be nine inches away yeah. um so i don't think it's i don't think it's too powerful it it gives you that risk reward benefit of going look i'm gonna drop 500 points for the possible benefit of being able to get up to a thousand points yeah um and it is it's weighing up those options um and yeah i hope i just really hope it actually we see in a gash i really do hope so because i versed one player with Nagash a long time ago, but he didn't use him right. So it just didn't feel like a great win beating Nagash. Like, yeah, I beat Nagash, but it just wasn't all yeah. that well played. So It would just be great to him, because he is someone that in one turn, you can easily get a thousand points summoned onto the board. With eight, eight spells, doubling units, he'll be great. Um, he, and it might actually make him worth it for 900 points. Yeah, he will be definitely worth it. Um, I would actually be quite scared if I ever see him on the table on the other side. I'd be like, great. I hope we do. It would be really nice to see. So yeah, so um, it was a solid good day. Um, good catching up with some people that we haven't seen for a while. There's a few people who haven't been around playing some of the games. Yeah, in. it was great. Fortunately, um, a massive shout out to Sam for being available all day as the um the buy buster, which Definitely I'm glad I need. Uh, I'm glad I'd organised as um unfortunately we did have one person that was unable to attend on the day, so we didn't have any odd numbers. Sam stepped in and used uh, my Guardians of Valerial Army from BrizCon recently and um, so competitive. <laughs> played played his, played this uh, Sylvaneth um, Stormcast mix um, and, yeah, played three games as well. So thanks, Sam, for, for being there um, and playing. Um, yeah, it was it was just... It was one thing that I didn't think, actually, as someone that's never run a tournament before. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, actually just running it and not playing. Yeah. Um. I thought I would be frustrated going, oh, I just wish I could play or I'd be running around like crazy entering scores and, and stuff like that. And actually, for my first kind of event, I really enjoyed it. I didn't feel too pressured. I thought I had enough time to go around casually and kind of look at actually get to look at people's armies and look at their painting and mark off their scores on the painting rubric and things like that and actually have time to look at people's models and talk to people and ask like, oh, do you have any conversions in the army? Do you have any freehand? And and have things pointed out to me. And seeing like Dan had brought along his kind of custom Eshin battle tome that he'd printed out and oh. stuff was really cool. Um, so that was something like if you're if you're someone that is thinking of maybe running an event but you're not sure because you haven't done one, just just give it a go. Like Let's it was, do it. it can be like a whole bunch of friends. Like, yeah, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of the guys who came up were actually like. We had like the Clan Filth crew who were all there. <laughs> so we're all like just a bunch of mates who just all went there. We were all going there just to play games and just see the scenarios in yeah. action. Because recently we just all came back from BrizCon and we we're all like hobbied out. Yeah. So coming back and playing not just the generic take and hold, border war. Yeah. We went in there going like, cool, we're going to play like Nurgle's Garden and stuff. Like epic, like all the scenarios were interesting when you read them in paper. So we're like, cool, let's play it. And then actually playing it, it was just an epic day. And also seeing people like Paul, who we haven't seen for a while, yep. as well. And um, yeah, it's just it was a good day. Okay, and, cool. Um, so let's um, let's dive into it then. Let's go into the games. Um, so game one was Nurgle's Garden. Yeah. Um, so Liam, do you want to take us through the scenario? Yep. Um, kind of all the aspects of it, um, including the com- like the new kind of command abilities um, that the scenarios give, and uh, yeah, just talk us about talk through your matchup and how the game went. Okay, so I was drawn. With Herbert, who sadly couldn't have made it for personal reasons from what we gather. So we, I had to deal with the Bybuster. Um, when I heard about the Bybuster list, I was just, I knew it was the BrizCon Guidance of Valeria list that did really well. And at first, when you read the uh, 
army list, you're just going, oh, how's this going to be competitive when it's actually in action? It is quite scary. It's it's tanky. It's not, it's durable and efficient yeah. is the key word <laughs> there. Um, so I versus Sam, and Sam knows my play style quite well because we've talked about it a lot, so he just knew how I was going to play the scenario. So this first scenario was Nurgle's Garden. So we have to capture all the terrain pieces, and every table had 10 pieces, so you've got to capture all 10 pieces from turn three onwards. Yeah. So it is like, um, what's the one that's in General's Handbook where it's like turn three on, oh, like Blood and Glory? Like Blood and Glory, It's yeah. like Blood and Glory on steroids. Yeah. Um, that's the best way to describe it, Blood and Glory on steroids. So what I wanted to do, um, just quickly about the overall scenario kind of mechanic, is I, pretty much all the tournaments I've been to, certainly anyway, using the General's Handbook ones, are... Four out of five games generally are every pretty much everybody there. The game ends in a major victory, yep. and then maybe take and hold ends in a minor. Yep. But basically, almost every scenario that gets played, it ends in a major victory. Yeah, draws are almost impossible because it's, yep. it, it always you literally have to have drawn on the scenario and then not drawn on. You have to draw on the scenario and draw on kill points to actually get a draw, which is super. Unlikely. Um, and a lot of the scenarios as well are. Blood and Glory or, sorry, Border War, you can, the final game, the whole game can be really close. It can come down to one point difference and that person gets a major victory. Yeah, which is Which doesn't really reflect, but it doesn't really reflect the game. If one point difference and one person walks away with a major loss and the other person gets a major victory from one point difference. Yeah. Whereas what I've done for my scenarios is every single one has a major win criteria. Yep. So Nurgle's Garden, you major win if at any t- at the end of any turn from battle round three onwards, you control all of the terrain features. Yep. Now that is hard, given that, as Liam oh. said, there's 10. So you have to have an MSU-style army, so multiple small units. Which I don't. <laughs> which some armies don't. So I've tried to balance across the five scenarios different things that you need from an army list. So yes, you can take a very specific list that can do well in maybe three, you might have really solid heroes and a few Death Star units, which might be really good for a few of the scenarios. But then you're really going to struggle on Nurgle's Garden because that's the list style you've chosen. Yeah. So it kind of encourages balanced lists. Yeah. Well, I think what a lot of people were starting to learn, because when we asked you quickly before the game starts, like, oh, is it like Blood and Glory where we can walk off the objective once we capture it? And you're like, no, 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 you can't do that. We're like, it's not part of the pack. We're like, so we have to stay here yeah. and you went yes and we're like great yeah so there's no tagging objectives because i felt faster faster armies like iron jaws and destruction would Silver be silver they'd be too strong because you start the game going all these five pieces of terrain on my side of the board on mine i'm going to run straight onto yours and now the whole game we're just fighting on yours yeah. and you're always getting your five so what i did to make it so that you don't need as many units as you might think is you just need more models within three yeah. of a terrain feature than your opponent. Yeah. So one model can be all you need to to capture a piece of terrain. Yeah. And the same unit may capture more than one piece of terrain yeah. if they are within three inches of both. So we started seeing a theme in a lot of... Because I was looking over some other people's tables and started seeing a theme, people stretching out their units. Yeah. I was like, cool, yeah, tree revs, do your same thing. So a lot of my tree revs didn't do much teleporting due to... One, they got hammered by a tree lane, which I'll explain in the game, but they got hammered quite quickly... So yeah, so that was the scenario, Nurgle's Garden, and I was versing Sam. So Sylvaneth against Sylvaneth with a bit of Stormcast on the other side, and I 
pretty much did my general um, hero phase where I just started buffing up my Durfu and stuff where I just made him re-rolling the hit and wound rolls um, for the Lawmaster and started plonking woods everywhere. And also he gets a benefit from it, but I wanted to capture or make sure I have all full control of it. So when he did the drops, he only had three drops. I had um, one drop. So I just put everything now. Like, cool, got all the woods now, so you can't teleport. Or if you did teleport, you can't actually be nine inches away from me. And so pretty much we were fighting a lot on his side. But before the game started, he decided to pick an artifact that not a lot of people take, which is the... Um, Moonstone. Moonstone one, where the Tree Lord Ancient or Branchridge, it's only a Sylvan F Wizard gets it, where they can teleport anywhere on the board edge and have to be only four inches away from enemy models. So it's an easy charge. So putting that on a Tree Lord Ancient is actually quite scary. Yeah. So um, I went onto his side hoping that he wouldn't actually teleport yet so I could get all my other units placed ready for um, holding the, um, like, perfectly stretched out, holding all the terrain pieces. But turn one, he teleported, and I was like, great. This is what I wanted. But then I realized, forget it. He can only capture one objective on that side or two if he's lucky. So I started moving um, units around to make sure that I was capturing a lot more. So stretching out my tree revs again, stretching out some cone of hunters. And then most of the game, though, was pretty much trying to get down all those Stormcast yep. units. And in the end, um, it was a minor victory and he did not have a lot of models on the table because Durfu was only taking seven wounds. And a lot of people might be like, oh, that's a lot. That's nothing for a tree lord. Cause he stays on D6 damage. And he stays on D6 damage. 10 wounds, so... And also his shooting attack is still pretty brutal because I play quite aggressive with him. He has a rule where he can take two extra shooting missile attacks and he takes D3 mortal wounds. So I generally use that, especially with the re-rolling. Yeah. And it's guaranteed four or five, five shots minus one rent D3 damage at one particular unit or hero... Yeah. He's a, he's a unit of Kurnoth Hunters with bows on his own. He's a unit of Kurnoth Hunters with bows by himself and missiles. He is, but with re-rolling hits and wounds because of the Lawmaster. And also and having the, the sword. <laughs> and then the sword, that's just like, imagine two unit, like a unit of six sides all yeah. in one go. That's pretty much the damage output of him. Yeah. And having that re-rolling, D3 extra attacks, obviously since they're placing all the Wildwoods around. So he only stays in Wildwoods. My playstyle is I make sure that there's always a Wildwood near him. Yeah. Because having that D3 extra attacks, if I don't have it, he's just a waste of 400 points because that is quite powerful with the re-rolling. Yeah. Um, so he... And obviously you've got regrowth on your Tree Lord Ancient. Yeah, so you can and You can heal him wounds. Heal him wounds. And we did one combat that we knew would never go well where we had two Tree Lord Ancients who both ignore Ren minus one <laughs> and who were both at minus one to hit. It was a great, great three or four turns of combat of just two Tree Lord Ancients who aren't doing any damage then Durfu just came around and just said, I've had enough watching this. And whopped the other and one. And whopped the other one. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I rolled, for the damage, I rolled, I think, a 16. And <sighs> Sam goes, okay, no problem. I'm like, yeah, sorry, dude, I had to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was an awesome opponent, and I'm so glad that he was there to play because I have never played Sam. Because we, I always usually say Silvernev against Silvernev is a really slow game. Yep. And it was. It was a really slow game because we all re-roll saves. Yeah. That's generally what Sylvanep does. If you don't have any mortal wound output, you're just going to watch Sylvanep just re-roll saves for yeah. days. So that's probably where you have the edge in that by having the Durthu in your list because of that Ren 2. Ren 2. Everything else was Ren 1. Yeah. Um, and also having me taking turn 1 is quite powerful. Yeah. I did ask him why he didn't put many trees down because he had two Tree Lord Ancients where he could summon Wildwoods and also cast a spell. Yeah. 
Um, he just said that it benefits you. I'm like, there was a, and I explained to him there's a few ways that he could have benefited quite a lot, especially traveling some dryads across the other side, mm-hmm. making sure that they're not getting hammered by a unit of of hunters with size. Because he was... did well with the Tree Lord Ancient, though, didn't he? Moonstone, he took out your unit of 10... Unit of 10 Tree Reds, tree which, are, which are my, what I call the Suicide Assassination Squad. Yeah. So he t- he came to your side, killed the unit, he was then claiming two of your bits of scenery, and you had to send some dryads over. I had to send some dryads and stretch them. Yeah. I was like, you guys are stretching... And then he charged them, and he didn't knock, and they passed Battleshock, and they just went, cool, we're going to run, because there wasn't the, because um, there's no household, so I could retreat. Yeah. It's like, cool, they're going to run 7d6, cool, I'll take these two now. Yeah. And that actually won me the game. If I'd left them there, um, they would have been whomped, and he would have been able to stretch over maybe three, or still have two objectives, but he would have yeah. scored one extra point. Yeah. So, me running away, and then he also failed the charge that next turn. Okay. So, that won me... So your yeah. game came down to one point, didn't it, in the end? Came down to two points. Two points. Two points. So it was quite close. Um, so that... Him wiping out that unit of 10 tree revs did change my battle plan Yeah. quite a lot because they could have easily stretched out Yeah. to a like, unit 10, like one line of unit 10, keeping the coherency and stuff. Yeah, with one inch in between, you can tag a good three pieces Four. of scenery, I was gonna potentially. Do a circle. I was going to make a circle of them and just get them... In the middle, but then your stormcasts were in the way, so I was derpy <laughs> over there. I say your because it's your list yeah. as well. But um, yeah, Sam, I felt sad. Sorry for Sam though, because it was the first time you ever played Guys of Lariel. Yeah, so. I helped him quickly set up just because obviously we were kind of you were twenty five minutes behind at that point because we'd wait we'd waited for the well. person to turn up. Um, and then I said no. I kind of called it and said, right, no, Sam, you're going to play. Um, so I just deployed all the stormcast stuff for him, and then yeah, he that was he key. played the game. Um. I gave, yeah. him my, I gave him my battle time, like, I don't need this, I know my rules, here yeah. you go. And that was the thing as well, the reason I decided to bring a kind of Sylvaneth army for Sam to play if he needed to is because he's a Sylvaneth player, so at least he'd know what he was doing with the Sylvaneth stuff. If you gave him Iron Dross, he would be very puzzled. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so that was my game one, it was a close game. Um, so I you got, got a minor? Minor, minor yep. victory. A lot of people got a minor victory, only one person got a major. Um, yeah, which was Chris, and if you looked at his board, it was actually he had... A slan holding two pieces of terrain, a single model holding another two pieces of terrain from being in between. So that's what I'm saying was yeah. he didn't actually need to have that many models, but he had good positioning in between two pieces yeah. of terrain. And on the last turn with the summoning, he summoned different units to be within range of all of them um, and managed to outnumber and claim all 10 on the last turn with the summoning. Yeah, he. Um, when I heard he was bringing a summoning seraph on this, I knew he would do really well in Noble's Garden. Yeah. Um, it is quite a powerful... Well, the skinks retreating can just let you run to a different point near the terrain and things like, like that. I feel like dryads so. need a rule like that. <laughs> like, dryads are the equivalent of skinks. But, um, yeah, he... With that rule, it does help out with Noble's Garden. So, yeah, so... Yeah, everyone pretty much got so minors except Everybody one. got a minor win apart from that game, which ended in a major. Um, yeah. But so you would have got seven points for a minor win. Um, yeah. So I use a 10 nil scoring system in my pack. So you get 10 for a major yeah. win, zero for a major loss, yeah. seven for a minor win, three for a minor loss, and then five if you draw. Um, yeah. Because it is actually fairly easy to draw on my pack. If you both, yeah. if nobody achieves the major auto win condition, if you tie on victory points um, from the objectives throughout the game, then you get a draw. It's as simple as that. Yeah. There was actually kill points never came into it at all. No, um, no one... They they weren't even recorded on the the um the pack. No one needed it, and there wasn't a single tie in the final results, so they weren't needed to they weren't needed to kind of separate things or anything. So um that was quite good. The pack just rewards people playing the scenario. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's good that it's like that though, because it is a challenge. Um, but it's worth saying as well. Under the pack, you get your major minor um, condition, the ten nil. Yeah. But then you also add the number of victory points you score in the mission to your score. Yeah. So how many did you get? Something like eighteen. I got eighteen. You were quite shocked when I told you my number across the game. I yeah, think. across the game. You were like, you looked at me like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh no, that was the that was the last game. I think. Oh no, that was twenty. Okay. You looked at us and you said, that can't be right. And we're like, okay. oh, that's, that's but yeah, good. so 18 plus the 7. So you actually got like 25 points from game 1. Yeah, that was quite um, a lot. So yeah, it rewards people that have... It also means if you have a tight game and somebody manages a minor win because they win by 1, but neither of you have really been playing the scenario and you've only scored 2 or 3, somebody that's been in their game, also it's only been won by 1 or 2 points, but both players were playing the scenario, yeah. those people will earn more victory more. points from playing the scenario better than the other two and place above them. Well, in other words, whoever read the pack, pretty much. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's yeah, it rewards people for playing the scenarios because yeah. ultimately that's what the mission is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's game one. So that was Noel's Garden. The only thing we didn't touch on was the command ability because oh. there is a special command ability um, yeah. that the general can use so from each scenario. The command ability is really good for Noble's Garden because you can actually stuff up your opponent quite a lot. Um, I, throughout the tournament, didn't use any command abilities because they actually... I didn't need them, in the other words, because, for one, the Noble's Garden one, you give them... You select D3 units, yep. and you give them plus two to the armor save, but you give them half their movement. Sylvanef don't need that. They already got a good enough save. Yeah. Um, I could have done it on my own units and been more of a prick, in other words, because <laughs> we were already on a two-up save. So yeah. putting Durfu and a Tree Lord Ancient on zero-up save would not be yeah. an exciting But thing. you can also do it on your opponent. Do it on my opponent, but he was also running Sylvan F, and that also is not... like Putting that on like Crown of Hunters, could have done it on Tree Revs, especially with the whole them getting wiped out in one go yeah um but that there just kind of shows looking back at it i'm like okay cool could have done this one and that was yeah. great for the warm-up you go cool i need to use that command ability for that yeah but when you're in a state like after doing so many games you just always have a rhythm and you just immediately go command ability rerolling yeah. says one done so um yeah i didn't use that command ability but i'm pretty sure a lot of people over did like did use it quite a lot and took i'm not sure people I don't know if people really used it very much in the first game. Um, I, I know Dan, Dan, Dan in particular started using it from game two onwards. Okay. Um, but I think in that first game, everyone was really just focusing on kind of movement and just it was the first scenario of a whole load of new scenarios. So people weren't using it too much. But I just, the command ability, it gives you an ability that is very specific to helping you play the objective in yeah. that mission. So... In Nurgle's Garden, you either want to be survivable to hold the pieces of terrain you're already standing on, yep. in which case you can select your own units and give plus two to your save, yep. but it halves all your movements, so you won't be able to capture other objectives. Or you can do it to your opponent if you know they're going to try and run to claim some other objectives. You can go, I'm going to give your units plus two save, but I'm now halving your movement, so you can't actually make it to that objective and you don't capture, and you don't need to shoot that unit. You don't need to worry the fact it's got plus two armor save because it's not on the objective. Yeah. Um, so that's what the command ability can do for Nurgle's Garden. Yeah, I really wish I did that on tree revs. Looking back at the pack, but because your like, tree revs can just teleport, it's not a movement thing. Yeah, it's not a movement thing, but yeah, it's Sylvanev have really tricky. I like to call them tricky movement. It's 
yeah. or relying on the battlefield. But also, Sylvaneth are one of those armies where the commandability that Sylvaneth Stanley have from the True Lord Ancient is so strong. It's you really strong. have to go, do I want to lose re-rolling ones to armor saves for this bonus? Yeah, I could have... Yeah, looking back at it, I could have put it on Durfu and a True Lord Ancient because they just move. And the chances of them charging at times is zero. Just shooting at things is pretty much what I generally do at turn one. Um, I generally set up, I have like a few backup plans where I line up my current hunters in front of Durfu. Um, so if anyone charges at Durfu, they're going to have a really bad time. Yeah. So doing that um, generally is how I play. So yeah, and also the one thing that I did turn one when I felt bad for Sam was I took down his bravery 10 in less than a minute. So yeah, when he told, like when he explained to me that, oh, the branch wave gives me bravery 10, I'm like, that has to go. Yeah. And with re-rolling hits and wounds, I did, I think, a total of 12, 13 damage on my shooting on yeah. it. He was just like, she's dead. I'm yeah. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Felt bad. I was like, oh, there goes Bravery 10. So, yeah. yeah that's, no, game... that's cool. So that was game one. Um, I think we'll just take a quick break there, and then we'll come right back with game two. Okay. And we're back from the break. Um, let's just get straight into your game two, Liam. Yes, game two, it was Corn's Arena, where there was a s- objective in the middle, or a shard, was it? In the middle? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a sacrificial altar in the middle. Yep, sacrificial altar in the middle, and anyone, every end of the battle round, if anyone is out of an 18-inch bubble and they've used a missile attack, you roll a d6, plus two if they use the missile attack, if the results are six or more... Um, any units outside of that bubble suffer D6 mortal wounds. Yeah, from the boiling blood rain. Yeah, so it is one of those ones where everyone pretty much has to get into combat. But funny enough, this game did not have much combat where it was pretty much shooting everything <laughs> and making sure that things did not... You also um, set up closer, don't you? I set up quite a lot closer. So the, I... the deployment zone is not the backboard to 12 inches forwards. Yeah. It's actually... Nine, nine inches away from opponent's territory up right. to 18 so you have to be at least six inches forwards of the board edge yeah so that was a really different ball game when it comes to deploying however with Sylvaneth's movement tricks um trickness it is quite doable just to put things on any side and then you can just teleport straight in back into the middle which i did just to play safe from the um d6 mortal wounds because it's just brutal so, yeah, but luckily what happened was our centre terrain piece where the objective marker was, was deadly. So no one really touched it. All right. No one touched it. And But where I placed all my wildwoods, since there was this massive tree circle thing in the middle of it, I just placed all my wildwoods pretty much around it. And it was... And, yeah, it was quite interesting deployment that I did. But I was versing Feud, is his name? Yep. Yeah, Feud, he runs Disciples of Zench, and I kind of saw how his last game was with, um, I think it was with James. Yeah. And I saw two Lord of Changes and a Bloodthirster on the table. Yeah. And I did not have any of that. I was quite worried for you, actually. When I saw this matchup, I thought, this scenario, that army against your Sylvaneth, like, mortal wound output is Sylvaneth, is Sylvaneth Kryptonite. Yeah. I was, and it's all about killing heroes, like... I was quite worried for your army, to be honest. Yeah. Um, um, so, I had some damn terrain. And if anyone knows how I play, me and damn terrain get along really well. <laughs> like, when I say really well, I mean, I rely on it quite a lot. So, 
Yeah, but this is the key part. So his nine Destiny dice had a, quite a few ones. I think he had a total of three or four ones. Two sixes and one five, and I think a three or two. He had quite a few threes, didn't he? Quite a few threes, which I he didn't really touch. He... They're probably the worst dice roll, a three. I'm, I'm They're not s- amazing for battle shock. They're not really great for hits and wounds. They're not good for armor saves. I would say I would put it down. It all really depends. I think he should have... Can he do it for deadly if he rolls on deadly? No. Okay. As I was going to say, as I mentioned throughout this game, there was a specific part of the game that pretty much changed it. So turn one was me doing my usual aggressive Durfu movement. He put a changeling next to my Durfu, and he goes, I'm going to half Durfu's movement. And I was like, that's fine. No problem. Durfu's going to travel through the um, woods. Travel through... And he was in range of the Lord Change. By the way, he's taken Damned as well. And also re-rolling the hit and wound due to the Lord Master, my best friend. So he's hitting on... He's, he's got plus on, one to hit. Plus one to hit. And, and he's re-rolling hits and so wounds. Yeah. He's hitting on threes with his missile attack. Also, my current of Hunters take Damned. They love it. And there was another certain part of the game that happened, which never happens. Even Chris got to witness yeah, it. Yeah, I and, saw it. And yeah, it was a great moment. Anyways, so I decided to make the Chrono Hunters shoot first. I always make them shoot first to see how much damage they can take off um, first due to they're so hit and miss at times. So I was like, let's Yeah, they're very shot. spiky, the bows. Yeah, it's like you just see, you're going to see how they go, see what happens. And yeah, so I shot them first and I had about four, I had four, I gave him four saves on his Lord of Change. So that's minus one rend. He used his three Destiny dice. In that, and I just looked at him, and when he the did si- that, the six and the two fives, yeah, six and the two fives, okay. just to save it because he knew it was D three damage, and yeah. I did explain to him that Durfu is also D three damage, and he did that just to save it. I was like, interesting, because I would honestly think that would be a spell casting thing, like guarantee, yeah, especially with a Lord of Change having the yeah. um, rule where he can just change the five into the thing. So I was like, that's really interesting. But then, but in, that's the thing that if you're going first, his Lord of Change is his linchpin summoning. Yeah. Well, actually, the yeah, rest the of his army strikes. can summon, but it's it's, it's it's his big model, and actually, four up save, fourteen wounds. It's not if you've got four wounds gone through potentially that all do D three. That's potentially twelve damage you can yeah. immediately do. So, him deciding to just burn those Destiny dice, I maybe wouldn't have burnt all three. He, I probably would have rolled would a couple have used and used one. maybe one or two fives. Yeah, but then also you have a Durfu coming in. Yeah. And then, so when he did on the Colonel Punches, I was like, that's interesting because Durfu's coming up next. Durfu gave him five shots at minus one and he saved quite a few and then we got him down. I think he had five wounds left. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. That's interesting. So that's a pretty good turn one. You've already burnt through his best destiny dice. And the Lord of Changes and he got five wounds left. Yeah, and that and I really did not want the Infernal Gate thing. Infernal to do. Gateway, yeah. But yeah, he then but then when he saw what Durfu could do, he's like, Wow, he's a massive shooting target, like a massive target. I was like, Yeah, he can kill him now. He's done I was like, He can kill him now. He's done his part. He's now a massive target. He can kill one hero, go for it. And that's how I play with him aggressively, especially when it comes to mortal wounds. He's gonna put all his mortal wounds into something that has serious high output damage. Yeah. Because a tree lord ancient, he doesn't he only has three attacks in melee and stuff, and it's generally D6 minus one. So I was like, yeah, good on you, Dofu. He also charged him some more orders and stuff afterwards and murdered two and a half units in turn one as well. So he took down half a lot of change, 
charge into some marauders, some pink Did cards. you use the shard for that or just roll the nine on the just charge? Just rolled. I rolled a 12. A 12. <laughs> nice. Rolled a 12. I was like, go for it. Go for it. Do whatever you want. And then also charge a card of hunters as well. And they did quite a lot. And that's the first unit of size. Didn't do much in the game. But in the end, they did really well. So that was my turn one. I had also another Wildwood placed on the other side of the tree from my Verdant Blessing that I put on my Branch Witch because sometimes the four up with the Trail Ancient is super not reliable that I went after Briscon, where it only went off twice. So, yeah, so having that there was good. And I put another unit of Kernel Hunters there just in case he decides to come around the back and do that so he has something to come on. His turn one, I forgot to ask him what some of his heroes do. One of them is the Blue Scribes, who roll a dice, and on a two-up, a spell cast successfully, and to unbind it, you need a nine. Yeah. I did not know that, so he rolled it, and a Bloodthirster rocked up. You actually need a ten to unbind it, because it casts on a nine. So the casting value is a nine. Oh, because I read the rules afterwards, and it says to or unbind it. it oh, no, it can just cast any spell. You yeah, can cast any right. spell, and, then and to, to unbind it, you need a nine. nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like... Okay, I really wish I knew that, because I would have killed him first. I would have put my bows over on that thing, because he was already... Because, yeah, when that happened, I was just like, right, I really wish I asked questions. So, Bloodthirster rocked out. Yeah. And, yeah. So, on a two-up, he gets a Bloodthirster. On a two-up, Bloodthirster rocked out. I was (laughs) like, could be worse. Could be another Lord of Change that I would much rather Bloodthirster, because it's more... Because I was in cover, so I could have that re-rollable save. Yeah. Um... So yeah, so that happened, and he failed charges, couldn't shoot because it was an 8-inch range, he had to be 9 inches away. Yep. So that side did nothing. Um, and also, I kind of forgot what the objective was for a little bit, because I realised I had to kill heroes, I was just killing little things, but I was killing wizards mainly. I was like, that's a wizard, that's a wizard, that's a wizard. Well, just these units of pink horrors and stuff. Yeah, or... I was like, you all need to die. <laughs> just please get rid of these. Um, didn't really focus much on the Skyfires, and he had a whole bunch of them with a Shaman. I don't think he had too many. I think he had six. He had six. Which, uh, that kind of size game, yes, he can't summon them because they're not a summonable unit, but... Yeah, it's also the thing is he did put a lot of points in his summoning pool. Yeah. If he didn't do that summoning pool, I would have expected a lot more from it, like a lot more units. So with that there, I was like, okay, cool. He's already used up his um, Destiny's Eye, so all he has to do is now roll the five ups and stuff. But he took damned. So he was doing four ups. So Durfu died from... Um, some Skyfires. I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, was expecting that. No problem. So that happened. And then I won turn two. And he also had the chain host. So he's changeling change with some blue horrors. Yep. And he tried to attack my Lord of Change, not Lord of Change, my Lawmaster, because he saw what he could do. And I was like, cool, no problem. Um, give it a shot. And he he was like on one win left. Branch Witch died. Yeah. She was... I was, he's like, oh, I killed your branch I'm like, that's cool. She's done her job. She put down two woods. <laughs> she's she's all good. So I gave him one point there. Um, so then in the end, I was turned to, I was like, cool, time to kill. Blue Scribes, finish off the Lord of Change, and um, and the Bloodthirst I compl- like, didn't really focus about because, again, I was trying to get make sure that another Lord of Change didn't happen. Yeah. Because having another one would just be another 14 wound thing, and I couldn't cope. Yeah, and all that mortal wound output. All that mortal wound output. From a fresh gateway. and Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that I'm killing casters that do things like on a two-up at summons and stuff. Yeah. So I was just trying to get rid of it. Um, in my hero phase, though, I killed a changeling through Wildwoods, because they, they kept going off, and he put them near him. I was like, cool, D3. Yep, 
Yep, another D3. Yep, another D3. And he was just like, oh, God. Yeah. He just realized that it was a big mistake changing yeah. the changeling with the blue horrors because he just put them right next, put in the changeling right next to him. And like, cool. He's gone. Yeah. Next one now. And then, um, so then I took Damned again with my kind of hunters. Because with the free spirits move, I get to pick a point. So they get to move back to Damned and then get moved back to where... Because you pick a one focus and then move... Yeah. And, and then the movement phase can just move them back. Yeah. So I generally do that when I have Damned. I make sure that they're near Damned so they can just move away, get into range because it's a 35-inch yeah. that range. And then they come back for yeah. some more Damned. And I also make sure there's a Sylvaneff Wizard around in case I lose one and then cast one back and put him yeah. back. That's cool. So that's how I generally play it, and that's why Damned is my best friend. Yeah. So, but he kept dispelling everything. So Hand of Glory never went off again. Mystic Shield never went off again. The only spell that he failed to cast was the Awakening of the Wood. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that happened, and I think another spell also happened. I think it was Regrove actually may have happened, and that's how I could kill the Changeling. So then after that, I shot... Colonel Hunters went on, and they shot... To the Lord of Change. Yeah, this is the this, this is where is the, I was I was standing at the table and I watched this. This is um I was glad Chris witnessed it because most a lot of other Silver Dead players never have this. So my hunt masters on twos to hit and everyone else is on threes to hit. Rolled my six dice, all of them hit. I was like, cool, that never happens. Usually a couple of missed. Yeah. And then I like grabbed those six again. I was like, cool, now it's threes to wound. Rolled it. Everything was four ups. I was like. Yeah, I was like, okay, I can confirm as a Silver Death player, this never happens. You don't this, get all six hit. This never happens. He just goes, okay, so how many saves do I have? I'm like, you have six minus one. He goes, oh, rolled it. And he just like failed, I think, five of them. I'm like, cool, D3 damage. And that's a dead lot of change. He was like, rad. From then on, MVPs. They did well. Um, and then I went off to kill the Blue Scribe, and I didn't even bother with the... I killed the blue scribe actually with tree revs, my unit of ten tree revs, my suicide squad. <laughs> they came from behind and attacked him from his side and he goes, Holy crap, I forgot they do that. I was like, Yeah, tree revs generally do that tricky stuff. So they got wiped out. Um he wiped out they wiped out quite one hero and then I moved next time I moved the next one over there to kill the shaman just in case things didn't go to plan. Nice. Um but then this other thing and then his turn happened and he moved his um and uh, Bloodthirster, a bit closer to my lonely hunt master who's been dying be- like, being by himself with scythes. And he decided to charge me. And I was like, okay, cool, you rolled a five. And the way I placed him was he was on the edge of the wildwood near a circle. So in the rules are you generally can't land on the circles when yeah. there's trees not on it. Yeah. But next to that wildwood was Deadly. <sighs> he had to land on Deadly. I was like, yeah, dude, just roll a d6. It's highly unlikely you're going to roll a one. Because he really did not want to roll for deadly. Don't blame him though. He didn't have to take. He didn't have to do the charge though. He didn't have to do the charge, but he really wanted. He to wanted kill... to get the charge. He yeah, wanted to okay. get the charge because one, you get to move the bloodthirster closer. Yeah. And yeah, and he couldn't fit in my wildwood base because the base was so big. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, you can roll for deadly, and he goes, oh, okay. He rolled it, and it was a one, yeah. and that was a dead bloodthirster, and my scythes did nothing. He just stood there. He was. Cinematically, he probably just stood there and just watched his bloodthirster just die from... Just trip over a tree root. And yeah, die. and yeah. just die. <laughs> and I was like... By the way, it was not from the Wildwoods. It was literally from a piece of terrain. Yeah. That was deadly. And I was like... Okay, that, again, never really happened. So a lot of things in this game generally do not yeah. happen. Um, so, yeah. And the only thing he had left in the end was a Shaman. And I think a Herald. And they just died straight away. 
And I was like, cool, sweet, that's um game. And he goes, actually, no, I'm going to see if I can summon another Lord of Change with my pink horrors, which I completely forgot about. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, rad, give it a go. He failed. I was like, sweet, cool. And then we came to my turn, and I won priority again. I'm like, cool, kind of hunters aside, charge, please. Kill those horrors, yeah. Kill those horrors. Killed it. I was like, yeah, sorry, dude. And then it was a good game. It was, I was stressing because having that other Lord of Change could pop up and I, he could have placed it anyway. He could place it next to my ancient and... Well, nine inches away. But... Nine inches away, but still, Infernal Gateway. Yeah. Him off quite heavily. Full helves. Yeah. It is quite scary. So that was my game two. Yeah. Um, so that, obviously, you... So that scenario, Quans Arena, it's all about killing heroes. Each hero you kill is worth one victory point. Um, the anvil in the middle of the board, any heroes that are killed within three inches of that are worth two victory points instead. Yeah. Um, and no one really... And... The major win criteria on that is if at the end of any turn one player does on not have turn three onwards. Yeah, from turn three, if at the end of any turn, if one player does not have any heroes left on the table, then their opponent wins a major victory. And things like the changeling, if he's not been revealed, or Caradron overlords that are in ships so can't be targeted, none of that counts as on the table. Stormcast that are in the, the heavens Guys. waiting to strike, they're not on the table. So if you get to round three and you still have those things and you haven't put them on the table, you better put them on the table because otherwise you lose that scenario because Corn will not be tricked by, yeah, by the Changeling hiding and things like that. Same with the Sylvaneth Wildwoods putting heroes in the Realmwood. Yep. So that kind of stuff there. The Sacred Groves. Yeah, it's... you. I generally just put all my heroes on the table. I'm like, cool, sweet. Yep. Everyone buff each other up quickly. Um, so yeah, that happened. Also, the command ability there... The fire shard, you get to pick D three units, get to charge. Once again, never needed it. Didn't. Yeah, I just didn't find a need for yeah. it at the moment because one, I didn't really want anything charging me. Yeah. At the moment, because his skyfires, once he used up those destiny dice, they weren't as scary, and I knew yeah. that his shaman. And were... they're quite weak, so if you can weather them. Yeah. And I mean, a tree lord ancient that ignores rend one and is minus one to hit really laughs at one. laughs at skyfires. Yeah, he's he's just fine. And also, with Zench, it's just a massive hero phase. Once you put the heroes in combat, they're yep. not going to last. They yep. are, they're pretty much gone. Like, tree revs, my assassination squad. They're perfect for that mission. They yeah. just came onto the side, killed it. That's why I like to call them the assassins. They are they do their job. Yeah. So, yeah. But no. yeah, so the fire shard lets um, you pick up to D3 um, units, and they must, um, they can run and charge. Um, yeah. if they don't have the rule they gain the rule to be able to run and charge um, if they fail the charge though um, then they take D3 mortal wounds as they attack themselves um, kind of with blood crazy um, but if they make a successful charge they each make one extra attack as well so you had Dan um, say do crazy stuff with his um, with the what was it Be- Belagar Be- Ironhammer yeah he Some went crazy ball. and he turned he turned his game around from what was looking like a big defeat against Stormcast to using the fire shard. Turn one, he used the fire shard on some fire slayers, charged all the way across the board into the Star Drake with plus one attack each. Um, yeah. To be fair, they only really did damage from dying and doing mortal wounds back to the Star Drake, but yeah. they That's did about hard. they did about six wounds to it. Yeah. And then through the course of the game, I think he then charged it with Belagar, got the plus one attack, made the run and charge doubled his attacks, um, the one turn he can do that, he killed the Star Drake, and then he was in the middle of the board, and there was the one remaining Stormcast hero, um, 
it was really far away, but Dan looked at it and went, oh, hang on. If I use the shard and I get a really big run and a really big charge and I survive two deadly tests, I can technically reach him. So he went for it. And if you kill a hero with a hero with a melee weapon in this scenario, you get an additional attack. attack. Yeah. So for Belagar, having killed the Star Drake, he had an extra attack. He then used the fire shard again, gave himself another attack, took it, run and charge. He rolled a six for his run, so I think he went like 10 inches onto a bit of deadly terrain that he yeah. had to, survived, and then he rolled like an 11-inch charge, which was enough to get into the um, the Venator, I think it was. Yeah. Again, passed the deadly test from running from charging on the deadly terrain, got in, had the extra, well, essentially extra two attacks at that stage. Yeah took it off and won a major victory for killing all the heroes. And he said without the fire shard, he couldn't have won that game. So it was really cool to see him really embrace the command ability and see that it won in the scenario. He did go ham. And he did tell us a hint saying like, if you want to win, use the command abilities. But like in my situations, I couldn't use like... You didn't need to. And that's, that's the thing. They do help you but they might not help you as much as your army just doing its thing. Yeah. So it's knowing... It's knowing when to use them. Yeah, so... In other words, yeah. Sentry is pretty much... I like to call it three places of power without the three objectives because you just have to kill heroes. Corn's Arena. Yeah, Corn's Arena. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just... it's. I've been thinking, you know, versus Sentry. But yeah, it's one of those ones where it's like, okay, cool, pretty much got to kill heroes. But remember, he's killing your heroes and generally, and as you've, we've discussed, bringing in more heroes, you're giving your opponent more points. Yeah. If he... Because if I had four heroes... And he had, like, five. I've just killed, like, five heroes, and then he's only, like, probably killed... He only killed one. Yeah. He killed one... Oh, no, he killed two. He killed Derfu and the Branch Witch. But... So that's one of those things where you want to take more heroes to make sure that you have less chance of losing on the major because as soon as you don't have any heroes left, you lose the game. Yeah. So having more heroes means that you don't lose the game straight away on yeah. the major. But if you have more heroes on the table... it gives your opponent the chance to get more points because they score for every hero they kill. Yeah. So, so. having those two big behemoth heroes that I have on the table straight away does help me quite a lot because they're really... I buff them up so they're actually, one, highly compact, like really heavy combat, and they're not that hard, like not that easy to kill. Yeah. Without yeah. mortal wounds, you struggle. Yeah, or outweigh me, outweigh me with dice, with high rend. Yeah. Which is only a few units in the whole entire game that can do that, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So that was game two, um, and then yeah, just the final game of the day. You were you were on table one, and it was the table one matchup. Yeah. Um, against Chris Tot with his Seraphon that we talked about before. Yeah. And after he scored a major victory in his second game as well, so he was the only player on two major victories from the first yeah. two games. So yeah, I'm a minor and a major, and not gonna lie, I knew what he listed. I've been watching him throughout the day. And his engine of the gods, triple turning people, is not okay. Yeah, it's worth saying he managed to do it in both his games. Get the trip, get a double free, get the free turn with the engine of the gods. And I was like, it shouldn't be likely on dice. And then he just rolled, he just rolled the practice one and got it. And I was like, how are you doing this? I really like his get, odds. I really want to get his dice. Weighed. I think I have you on video saying, I want to get your dice weighed. <laughs> I really need to get it weighed because we've had games, and he's just like when we did that fake foot of gork and he made foot of gork go off like 12 times in a row yeah 
And I'm like, dude, this, and he's guessing the numbers right. Yeah. He's like, cool, I'm going to do a five. I'm going to do, I was like, dude, this is not okay. He does this weird, like, off-putting thing. He's like, yes, this is a four, and he just rolls dice, and it just, like, it just happens is basically what he's saying. And I'm like, his dice are fine. I've picked them up and rolled them. They are fine. We're not saying he's cheating. Yeah, but, but he it's... has this weird, crazy thing of just, like, talking to his dice and telling them what to roll. <laughs> By the way, he's one of those people that I think there's been a recent trend where he also, we've been matching our dice with our army colours. So sometimes it's really hard to read his art, like his dice because it's such a dark... Oh, dark purple. Dark purple with gold. I'm like, I can't read your dice. I don't know how you're doing it. <laughs> and yeah, there's a few other people who have like dice that are just unreadable. I'm like, I, I don't even know how you... I really don't it. like the dice that say the number instead of the just having pips. Oh, yeah. The so Games the Workshop dice was... that literally it says it's a two I think or that's it's made a for four. Kids. I think it's made for kids who can't... They're count. really hard to read quickly. Sorry, no. I think the worst dice is the Zench dice. Oh, yeah. But they're not meant to be rolled. They're just for Destiny dice. Yeah. Let's talk to some Zench players and mm. see if they just do it. Um, but anyway, we're going so yeah, off Anyways, tangent. so the last one, I've got the name... Well, how do you pronounce this name again? What was the name? Sigmaron, the... Fortress of Azaheim. Yes. So... Now, his list is heavily summoned. He's using the 4,000 points, Entering the Gods, and a Slan. And we rolled for Scenery. And this is the key part. This is, like, a really key part of what happened. So when we were, like, rolling for Scenery, he was looking for Arcane. Both sides had Arcane, and both sides had Damned. Okay. But he didn't see that... But I knew that, because I could see all of the dice. But he was just, like, putting his head over, and he wasn't looking properly. He gave me Damned and Arcane right next to each other okay. without even knowing. So that was one key part. That so he... let's just quickly talk through what this scenario is. Yeah, so... so this scenario, it looks like three places of power in terms of the setup. Yeah. So you have two outer towers, um, yeah. which they're not actually as far into the board. On three places of power, they're 18 inches in. Yeah. In this, they're 12 inches in from the board edge. Yeah. And then you have a central objective, which is the Terabulum. Um, so the two outer towers hold one holds the life shard and one holds the death, death shard. shard and then the terabulum is in the middle so the towers are controlled by either heroes or monsters yep um and you have to have a hero or a monster within three and there has to be no enemy heroes or monsters within three to control yep. a tower the terabulum is just whoever has more models within six inches yep um if from turn three onwards i think if um yeah, from turn three onwards, if one player controls both towers and the Terabulum at the end of their turn, then they win the major. That's how you win the major. Yeah. Otherwise, you score one point for each of the shard towers you control yeah. and three points if you control the Terabulum. Yeah. So, and the command ability in this is... Um, two sides to it. Yes, so you can use it to either tap into the power of the life shard or the death shard. Yeah. You pick D3 units... If you pick enemy units, you within 24 inches, you do D6 mortal wounds to them. Yeah. And if you pick friendly units within 24 inches, you he, like a model heals D6 wounds. So yeah. you can potentially, if you've got a high monster Sylvaneth army, heal three of them if you roll a three on a D3 for D6 wounds. Or using Plus a death shard, you can kill stuff. Like you can potentially pick three enemy units within 24 inches and do D6 mortal wounds to each one. Yeah. So it's really powerful, but then it's worth saying there's a there's an after effect that you have to apply each time you use one of the shard command abilities. After resolving it, you roll a dice and you add one for the first four scenarios. You add one, and on a seven or more, the hero takes D three mortal wounds or yeah. D six mortal wounds if they're a monster. Yeah. In the final scenario, because the shard ability is so powerful, you roll you add two to that dice roll. So 
on the first time you use it, basically on a five or more, it goes off. Yeah. The next time you use it, because it's all cumulative, it's on a three or more. And if you use it three times, it's guaranteed to happen because you roll a one, you're adding six. Yeah. You've rolled that seven. And then something happens. Now, for the warm up, the something was a secret. Yeah. Um, it was all writ- I'd written what happens. Um, basically, either Alarial or Nagash would okay. turn up, depending on which shard you'd used. And then, depending on what your allegiance was, whether you were destruction, chaos, order, or death, something happened to your general based on which, de- which god had turned up and what your allegiance was. Most of them were not good. Yeah. So, Nagash rocked up a few times. He killed... Um, he killed a Lord of Change. He cut him in half with uh, his sword. Yeah. Um, I think he... Did he do it to death? He disintegrated ancient? a true Lord Ancient. Um, yeah, he did, He yeah. turned him into a pile of dust. Yeah. Um, Poor Ancient. I think he usurped a Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon. Yeah. Um, after giving his army a benefit, he then usurped him because he is Nagash. Yeah. Um, Alarial turned up, actually, in that final game of Dan's yeah, Way Dan, yeah. to help his Dwarf Lord stay alive a bit longer. Yeah, Dan, um, Dan was a bit confused. He was like, so I, I'm alive, but I die because I'm... So that one was every turn, at the end of the turn, he would heal D3 wounds on his general. Yeah. But he could only she can only sustain him for so long. Yeah. And from the battle round four, the general's di- like he dies because the power of the shard overwhelms him. Yeah. But it was quite cool because it was getting to the point where once the first one had happened and people started hearing like what happened people that had finished their game started to kind of crowd round and i'd go over with my laptop and read out what happened yeah and people was, were like oh what's happening which was quite cool it was like yeah storytelling which is awesome because you kept that narrative yeah to, which is awesome but it is that's one thing i will be changing for the two day is i'm gonna just put that into the pack yeah um so that people can make an informed decision on what if i want, want to use this shard ability potentially my general's going to die yeah which is always a game changer. Yeah, so that's one that's one change I'm going to make um, based on feedback, is people said the turn they used it, they maybe did three mortal wounds, and then their general died. And they didn't even know that was going to happen. I tried to hint in the pack that it probably wouldn't be a good thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is something I will be changing. Um, yeah. So if you look on the, the new version of the pack, version 2, um, after hearing this episode, you'll see that I've added some additional tables of all the after effects that will happen to your general should you get overwhelmed by the life or death shard. Yeah. So that is how game three worked. And I was versing, yeah, again, Chris Tot. And he, as I said, gave me a side but favoured me by accident. A few things went wrong. I did everything right. His deployment was... Poor. It's okay, mod- be be modestly, and it's fine. <laughs> he can even recommend it because, like, when we finished deployment, he goes, he like clapped his hands, like, "Yep, done." He looked around and he just went, "Crap!" and realized that he just did everything wrong. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm gonna take full advantage of this right now." <laughs> so he hit a slant behind. We did the iceberg one, and with the venue, they gave us these massive expandable foam you decided it was yeah so i think it's yeah it was like expandable it was made from expanded foam anyway yeah. the so terrain and it kind of looked like big icebergs icebergs kind of thing it was epic it, it was really destro- good for blocking line of sight line of sight so i thought how can i like fix my line of sight oh you know what i'll summon wildwoods and that's what i did so turn one hero phase i just did acorn of ages one so ready for everyone to teleport 
um, put everyone near Damned. So kind of hunters with bows and Durfu. And then pretty much got Vernon Blessing off and then put the next one next to a slan so everyone can have line of sight of the slan. And then I had my first one in the middle, as always, because that's just a habit I have of putting the wildwoods in the middle just to for when it comes to like deciding sides, everyone would be like, Oh, it's fifty fifty, so it would not affect me much. Yeah. So that's how I like to play it. And I used to use tree song where I get to move them, but then that just never worked anymore. So I just then did all my spells, buffed everyone up, and then Durfu teleported in the middle, surprisingly, and then Branch Witch just ran to the left objective, my left objective. I think that was the life shard. I never used the life shards or anything because the game, the game only went for an hour and five minutes. Yeah, you you were done quite quick. We were done quite quick because I knew what I had to do. And also Chris had to go, so you Chris, were, you two were smashing it out. And also helps when you know your War Scrolls really well. That's the key part in this whole thing with me, is like I know my War Scrolls really well, so my games are quite quick. So then I had my Pern of Hunters with bows and my Ancient Teleport to the one that has sight of the slam. And I had the Ancient in the middle. And pretty much everyone had firepower on the slam. So slam was gone, and I put a couple of wounds on... I forgot who put a couple of wounds on the... I think it was the Ancient who put quite a few wounds on the um, Ancient of the Gods to make sure that he was dropped by one dice. Yeah. For his... um, So he couldn't get that triple turn. Yeah. So yeah, and that all happened. I was like, cool, sweet, done. Put everything else in the woods. Didn't even try and capture the right objective because I was like, I just need to kill the slam yep. ASAP. And that's that's one of the things we talked about at the start of saying that list has its bad matchups. It and smashed It smashed a really strong destruction list in the second game because he could go up on his bow in Vortex. The destruction didn't have shooting. Yeah. It didn't have shooting to be able to deal with the slan. So he yeah. was able to use his summoning to kind of outnumber and and be where he needed to be. Yeah. But then he had his hard counter against the Sylvaneth list coming up game three, where you took turn one because you out-deploy him, you had loads of shooting, you shot the slan off, hurt the engine, he now can't summon anything. Oh, he could. He had to roll really high. I don't think you can. You have to roll a 14, and at that point he's only rolling two dice. He rolled three. If you hurt it so that it drops oh, yeah, the dice, yeah. the slan is what lets him roll he, an additional dice. I think he... Oh, no, I think he was still on three dice, but he just couldn't. He was okay. one off. He was one off. Okay. Yeah. Summoning a slam. You still have to roll a fourteen. Yeah. It's quite on, high on three dice. It's Two, it's not likely. Yeah. So he was he was like, "Cool, I'm gonna try and summon a slam." I was like, "Okay, go for it." And then he just didn't. I think go he off. got a ten or an eleven or something. ten or eleven. And then he did some serious damage to my Durfu because he was like, "I don't want that thing anymore." He still had three units of ten Eternity Guard. It's worth it. Yeah, Saurus, but, Saurus guard. but if they char- when he charged me, it was only one damage. Yeah. So I wasn't too scared, but he out... As I mentioned before, outweighing me with dice yeah. does hurt me quite a lot. And Durthu doesn't ignore Rend 1. He doesn't ignore Rend 1, so he was on a 3-up, so any 2s. Yeah. He's, so he's took, he took 6 mortal wounds off the engine from his one of his special abilities. I think he was a shooting Oh, attack. the 25-inch yeah. shooting. And he got the 6. He got That's the 6. Nice. So I was on 6 wounds. Actually, no, I was on more. I was on 8 wounds because I did my 8 attacks taking D3, my super aggressive play. Yep. Um. So I was like, okay, cool, sweet. So he just outraged me dice and he killed me. Killed... Oh, no, he didn't kill me, actually. He was on 1 wound left. Then he did suicide. Yeah, I remember I... that. You, I... I came over and, yeah, I remember saying... Yeah, he had 10 wounds when I was last here and Chris did 1, so he was on 1 wound. And then you said, I'm going to kill Durthu. And I was like, why? Because I was forgetting he gets to make the shooting attack and then die. Yeah. 
So you boosted him to do extra yeah. shooting. So as I, so he was on one we left. I couldn't bother retreating with him because then he would just leave. And I wanted to kill the engine of the gods quite quickly. So moved everything to make sure that I was in range. Um, did my free spirits move so he moved, the kind of hunters were near damned again. They came back. Yep. Um, as I always do. One of them died and I just brought one back because also I was near Arcane because that's where the slam was as well. So it was easy to bring him back. And I buffed everyone up as always. Branchwitch did nothing. She just camped. Holding the Holding tower. objective with some dryads, some of her friends. And then shot off the engine of the gods straight away. And then Chris just went, okay, cool, sweet, no problem. And then I moved tree revs to the other side, the right side objective of me. And I was going to charge some skinks to get rid of them just so I can get the tabling done. And then after that, yeah, and then pretty much it was just Saurus Guard and Colonel Hunters going out at each other and then <laughs> killed skinks with bows and that was pretty much game we he had to go oh, i had the eternity warden and he died by colonel hunters with scythes so it was pretty much just was, mopping up at that point it was just it? pretty much mopping it up cleaning it up and i realized that sora's got a brutal when it, they don't move yeah d3 damage i've been caught out yeah that a few it's, times it's outweighing again outweighing me with dice and, and when they make, they still make like three attacks each. So th- only three of them can do like nine attacks that can all do D three damage. Like it's horrendous how much they can do. Yeah, and having the attorney one near them and giving them another save. Yeah, two plus, up save rerollable if he's got the right stuff. It's, it's really good. Yeah, so they're expensive though. Mortal wounds will absolutely destroy them. But oh, anything that's like that has that kind of good stats, just like Sylvan F. You, if you have mortal wound output. You're fine. So once again, didn't need the command abilities, didn't need anything, because I just pretty much, when I walked into that game, I was like, watching how he played throughout the day, because he was always, he takes his games quite a while, like he's like not a quick, fast player at times. Sometimes he likes to think. So I just had, when I was finishing up my games pretty quick, watched him, and I was like, cool. Enter the Gods need to die. Yeah. <laughs> that thing needs to go. And... I never expected it to be such a small model as well. When I saw it, I was like, that's a tiny model. Yeah, it's like, well, it's the newest Stegadon there is, but it's it's old enough at the stage where b- before they kind of started making all of the models just that much bigger. Yeah. So it's a dinosaur, but it's not a particularly huge dinosaur. Yeah. Also, when I saw his uh, summoning pool thing and I saw a Dreadsaurian, I was like, that's not coming on the table. Yeah. Um, so I pretty much my job was... Make sure that things that I don't like the look of come on the table. Yeah. So, yeah. I and just... that's the thing. Chris Chris even said to me afterwards, he lost that game on deployment. He said himself, he was so focused on putting the slan in a certain place. Yeah, he didn't arcane. think about threat range and he forgot to put his Eternity Warden within range of the slan to pass off wounds to it. Yeah. So it would have survived. And he just said, oh, yeah, I, just, was... I completely messed up. So. We have both talked about it afterwards. And I said, mate, I understand you were rushing because you had to go and stuff we can have a rematch same scenario and we'll take our time with it and he's yeah. like yeah yeah sweet so we've got another game coming up to practice for Sydney Slaughter cool so I'll be versing another I'll be versing that list again be probably quite different because his deployment will be also depending on terrain and stuff um, so yeah so we're going to do that there's heaps of more practice games there's yeah. going to be so many right now it's um, you need to play the, you need to practice the two scenarios that you didn't play I'm quite scared of those ones. The Disciples of Zanch one. The, the, the Zanch's Crystal Labyrinth. Yeah, that one. I read it and looked at the graph. I was like, 
Great. And then Slanish's Pleasure Palace. Yeah, I need to do that one. I So Slanish's Pleasure Palace is quite like Blood and Glory. Yeah. In the sense of there's four objectives in that kind of similar position. Similar position. Um, but that one is all about manipulating movement and bravery. Yeah. Um, and then Sylvaneth have poor Yeah, yeah. It might help to increase your movement. But we'll see. Um and then um Zinch's Crystal Labyrinth is going to be very interesting because it's all about teleporting through round gates or portals. Um, the board is split between the board six. is split into six two by two sections, um, and you can't pass through the wall. There's imaginary l- walls between all of yeah. the sections, and they're impassable unless you have ethereal movement. But the command ability in that scenario gives yeah, you yeah. it lets you swap places with units, and that movement counts as ethereal movement. Was it enemy units as well? No, just during, yeah, okay. just friendly. But it lets you go, oh, I have this unit in this section and this unit in this section. I need to kill a unit in that section with the unit that's in the wrong section. Ha, I can swap these two units through the walls because this is ethereal movement and then it lets you use the movement that way. So that is one where I think you will see people using the command abilities a lot more because yeah. they have to to get round the movement restrictions. Yeah. But as you say, you can also shoot through portals and things like that, oh. which... Potentially might come flying back at you, yeah. but potentially might double. When I read that scenario pack, and I was like, cool. And when I read the first line, you can shoot through things. I'm like, cool, rad. But this might happen. I'm like, huh. Yeah. It's only a one in six chance it comes back at you. And yeah, it's a one I, in six just, chance it doubles. Over the weekend, I just saw a bloodthirster go through deadly and it died. Yeah. Those D6s are scary. <laughs> only one D6 is scary. Um, so yeah, but I enjoyed the weekend. Got to roll some dice. And um, yeah, and, and I, you as, you walked away with two trophies, didn't walked you? Walked away with two trophies, but and as I said before, was not expecting to walk away with anything. Just walked in there to be like, cool, practicing for the two day. And actually, yeah, Lawmaster and Derfu are like Ash and Pikachu, <laughs> best best combination ever. <laughs> Can't name a better duo. So um, those two are. Yeah, if you guys are coming down, I'm really sorry with that combination. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you obviously got first place overall, and you also got Strategic Genius, which was the awarded to the player that achieved the highest number of victory points across the weekend, Yeah, which was you, as you, yeah. you played the scenarios um, in each of the missions and scored more victory points than anybody else. Yeah, so when that happened, I was like, huh. And that's why you won the event. Yeah, it was... Good. I wasn't expecting that trophy because I did know that a few people did score quite a lot of no goals guarding. Yeah, so that's the thing actually. Feud in his first game scored the highest number. I think he got 34. Yeah. Um, but it's worth saying for the overall results, the victory points are capped so that yeah. someone can't just run away with a huge amount of victory points in yeah. their first few games and win the event because they get so many points. So although Feud got 34 in his first game, he, he could only earn another six that would count towards his overall score yeah. in the remaining scenarios because it was capped at 40. Yeah. Um. So your three people achieved the cap, which was yourself, Feud and Matt Campbell. Yeah. Um. You all got capped at 40, Um. but you had the highest overall uncapped score. Yeah. Um. I think you had 51 or 56 yeah, which I was quite... Yeah, when I like did the calculation, I was like, yeah, okay. can't believe I got that many. But, yeah, so... Good shock. Of course, I won't get best painted. That would never happen. <laughs> I like to call that the James Mabry Award. So James, yeah, so James took best painted. Um, Paul Grixty got best opponent. Um, yeah. He... Which he got, out of three games, he got two bests and a second. So that was really I good. I really need to play a game with him because he is a really nice bloke. Um, um, so, yeah, it was... Good day. Um, 
Nothing else I really can say. It was well run. Kristen, awesome job. Thanks. Um, it was ran smoothly. Everything actually went on time. Um, giving us so much time for that last one because it's such a heavy reading scenario. Yeah, that's. Really... I have added an extra 15 minutes to each scenario for people so that they have that set up time and stuff like that. Yeah, so... Um, but there was there's always people that finish early but there was that there was also a game that would always go to the end of the round time so um but it was good to see that most of the games were completing yeah. um i don't think any of them really finished early um uh, except for a couple but it all depends on who the matchups are yeah as well cuz like i i find my games go really quick um at any tournament just because I know my war scrolls. And you play aggressively. So I yours is a kind of, you're either going to wipe your opponent out or you're going to lose quick. Yeah, it's how I play and I get to roll dice, which is pretty much the new reason why I play Warhammer is because I get to roll dice. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, yeah, if you were, um, obviously it's easy for me to tell people to come along to my next well, event. But as, as someone that's played, um, what would you say to people is if they're on the fence about coming? If you're on the fence and coming... I would highly recommend it because for a few reasons, it's a good um, two days. Don't come along often, especially in Sydney. We don't have that much in, um, in our scene. So if you're around Sydney or in our area and you want um, to play f- heaps of games and just meet a whole bunch of people, this is perfect. It's also a licensed venue, so you'll be able to drink. Yeah, beers are um, yeah good for the uh, tactical thinking, um, drinking. Another thing is... Custom scenarios, it's awesome because we don't have that general handbook where we just know the scenarios off by heart. So since everyone is going to walk in there with not a lot of practice compared to what we've had for about a year now with the general handbook out. Yeah. So not everyone's going to have that set tactic that they have. Everyone's going to be rocking up with different ways of thinking each turn. So it would just be freshening up our minds on like how to play our armies. Um, and... Yeah, I just can't... The number reason is it's just going to be an awesome day. I can. I know a few people who are going up, and we have a few people from interstate. Yeah, I know down, some of the guys are coming down from Brisbane. Coming down, so me coming travelling around to different tournaments as well, meeting new people. I can also say just have coming going to tournaments in general is awesome. The social aspect, the gaming aspect, also getting to see some awesome painted armies because we have that rule where everything has to be painted and also having the painting rubric but you've posted out where it's going to make people put a lot more effort in. Yeah. So, getting... so it's worth saying it's easy for everyone just bringing a kind of tabletop standard, three yeah. colours with like, you don't need to be a good painter at all. I you get, that. you get 15 easily. Yeah. And then there's kind of additional points you can get based on the quality of painting, whether you've done you, but it doesn't necessarily all have to be painting. You get points for, if you've done conversions, Versions. you get point if you bring display board, um, you get points if you've done nice ba- basing, um, so it kind of builds it up. So those players that have an exceptional, well above tabletop standard, really well painted army, Hobby they'll heroes. be achieving twenty five points. Yeah. But everybody else, everybody turning up should get fifteen easily. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of a sliding scale between fifteen and twenty five. But the criteria are out of thirty, so you don't have to have done everything to be able to achieve the maximum score. Some people don't like converting, so you might you won't get the two converting points, but you could still score 28 and be capped at 25. Yeah. So you don't have to build a display board either if you're not someone that does that. You won't. You don't have to do every element of it to score the maximum. Yeah. So I like going to tournaments just to see the painting mainly and just 
Well, pretty much seeing what James Mabry's painted up recently, pretty much. Um, <laughs> his whole Death Army. It's, a, whole sh- death. it's a shame he can't come. I'd love to see his Nagash finally there and being played in a summoning tournament. Oh, I'll be so scared. I'll be super scared. So that's the one thing I enjoy heaps, is just getting inspired by people's painting. Um, and a lot of people come up to my army, because my army's not real painted, but everyone's like, your scheme colour. It's really uh, cool. It's very different. It's very pale bark trees with a kind of reddy pink. Yeah, cherry blossom. Cherry blossom, yeah. Cherry blossom, Japanese um, theme. So yeah, so if you're on the fence, I highly recommend it. Um, and also we do, I think you just recently updated the pack as well for bonus points. Yeah, so for people... If you want five bonus points, then get an early payment in the week before payments are due, um, which will be Sunday the 21st of May. So there's not a lot of time, but if you get an early payment in, I'm very appreciative and you get five bonus tournament points for that. Um, Otherwise, I've also pushed the payment date to only a week before the tournament, um, which is very late as someone trying to organize a tournament um, and firm up numbers to do prizes and things like that. It is very late, but I appreciate sometimes people with shifts and things don't know until only a week before. Um, so you will still be allowed to pay up to a week before the event. But if you do pay a week before, there's a penalty of minus 10 tournament points. So it's pretty, it's it's it's, it's a pretty rough. heavy penalty, um, but not so big that you couldn't still do well at the event. Yeah. Um, because the event, there's a maximum available number of points of about of over 200 so minus 10 isn't going to be a huge detriment um but really everyone should be aiming for that kind of early payment or on-time payment would yeah. be great so so yeah. yeah that's june 10th and 11th um at south Coogee bowls club here in sydney um the details of the tournament are in the player pack which can be found on, through the mortally wounded facebook page um sydney slaughter 2017 um that basically wraps up our coverage thanks so much liam for coming on the show it's been great to have you on um i'm sure i'll have you back at some point to do a let's play sylvaneth um kind of episode with some of the other guys that are playing sylvaneth we can yeah. chat some chat some different sylvaneth list ideas yeah um got so many written up right now it's ridiculous. <laughs> um thanks for coming to the event i'm glad you had a good time yeah it was awesome congratulations on winning and yeah we'll see you next time for everyone listening thanks very much and it won't be too long hopefully before sydney slaughter and we'll be doing obviously a big coverage event for that um we'll be doing live coverage um video coverage through facebook um and then putting out some new episodes we're hoping to do a review of the corn battle tome soon so yeah thanks for listening guys and take care